Right, well, good morning, guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen. Good to see you. How are you this morning? You brave, brave the cold. It's good. Uh, we, uh, if you guys don't know, my wife and I moved from Charlotte, you know, a year and a half ago, and uh, uh, this is about a hundred times worse than anything we ever would have received there. And uh, people always told us to to go to the grocery store to make sure you had enough food to make it through the storm. And so we thought, why? What, should, what are we doing? And, uh, and we went, just in case, on the threat of snow. And I kid you not, uh, three aisles just totally sold out. Um, bread, milk, eggs, everything is gone, you know. And, uh, and then I get here this morning, I just drove in casually. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is we're here. This is where we've adjusted, you know. We're finally, finally back into the Midwest. So glad you guys are here uh, joining us this morning. This is actually the time of year um, when uh, my wife uh, and I used to have this rhythm where we would go uh, to Florida uh, every year uh, for a conference together uh, for pastors and wives. And uh, one of the things that we would always do is we'd actually go and we would uh, walk along the beach. You know, that's kind of what you do in Florida, right? And so you're on the coast, and so we go and, and we'd walk, um, just walk along the, the where the waves are kind of coming in, and, and as you do, right, it's soft, and so as you're walking, you can feel it kind of crunch beneath you, and when you look back, right, you can see there's these footprints, you know, kind of behind you uh, that have been imprinted into into the sand. We've been in this series called Rooted uh, in the in the letter of uh, Ephesians from Paul to the people at Ephesus, uh, and. Um, we're talking about this idea of being rooted and grounded in love. And there's these two parts to the book, right? There's the, the first part, which is God's story, and the second part, which is really our story. And so last week, we, we kind of, or two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we started shifting into how does this God story impact and live out uh, our story? And the main theme for the second half of the book is this idea of walking in a manner that is worthy, uh, really, of the gospel, worthy of Jesus to this person and lifestyle, this content of truth of which we have been called. And the word worthy uh, has this, this idea of weightiness to it, that we are called to walk in a weighty way, like the gospel is to bring weight and balance to our life. And so it makes me think, as I'm walking, as we used to be walking along the shore, and as you'd see those footprints, you'd look back as the waves would come in, and as it would go over, I, uh, like that first wave would come in, and then it'd go back, and half of your footprint would be gone. You know, and then uh, as you keep walking, you look back, and the further you look back, those waves, because they're further behind you, they, they keep coming in, and before you know it, your footprints are gone. And I have this question in my mind of what would it look like for us as Christians in today's world to walk in such a way that was weighty that the waves of the world wouldn't wash away our footprints? It's just this lifestyle, this manner worthy of the gospel to which we have been called. And so there's this, you know, these, these fundamental things that Paul has been walking through, this unregenerate heart that needs the work of God inside of us. And so that's what he does. He, he creates this new identity. But there's this new, this other piece that works in conjunction with our heart uh, in this new life, this new humanity that we've been given. And it's, it's our brains. It's our minds. So um, I want to just start with this. How many of you guys uh, like or maybe, maybe like is the wrong word, uh, can stand or bear uh, golf. How many of you like golf? Anybody? Just a few? Okay, more than I expected. Great. This is controversial. How many of you guys like to play golf? How many of you guys like to watch golf? That's usually where it plummets. Okay. <laughs> Right? People are like, that's the most boring thing in the world. Um, for several years, um, when I was working my way through seminary, um, I actually worked as a, as a golf instructor. And I worked with uh, ages from, you know, yay high, like knee high, to, 
to, you know, to, to, you know this little to this little, <laughs> uh, and just all sorts of different ages, all sorts of different skill levels. And uh, when you're working with these younger people, it doesn't really matter, especially if you're working with beginners. What you have to do is you always start with the ground up, right? You're always starting with your posture. So you talk about your feet. Where do I, my feet go? And then there's, the, there's this, this bend that needs to happen in my knees. And then there's a posture, right? So bend over your back and keeping it flat and straight, your head in alignment, your arms hang down, there's the grip, and then there's a, there's a posture, right, like this. And then once you get them into this, you can start teaching them some of the actual mechanics and the fundamentals of the swing. And so you can actually, you can count it back and how you rotate and twist and turn and how you come down and where your club should be at impact and how your, your whole body finishes towards your shot. There's, there's so many things that you need to learn about golf, right? And so as you're working with these people, uh, trying to process this, right, so it doesn't matter if you're, you know, knee high or yay high, this is oftentimes what happens, is that you get people into this, and you get it, and then we're, you start processing with them. This is how it works. Do you get it? Do you feel it? Yep, I get it. Okay, cool. Now you try. Right, ready. And you're like, uh, well, what did you think you did wrong? And they're like, well, I did what you told me. Well, no. No, you didn't. Right? You, you really didn't. In fact, the epitome of this, of this was uh, this little kid that I was working with once. His name is Gunner. Uh, that was his name, Gunner, and he hit golf balls like his name, you know? You, so it's like you had to position, hold his body. He had so much energy. It's like you had to hold his body, you know, and then he'd be like, okay, ready, 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 go, boom, 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 and he'd just go as fast as he could. And then at one point, he started going, right, and he was going so speedily, not paying any attention, that he clipped a ball in his backswing, and it shot this ball straight into my shin, and I was like, oh, you're done. Get off. Get out of here. You know? Like, it's oh, so painful. Right? So the reality for us is, is we think about this. Like, there's this mentality that uh, we can learn these things, but we have to engage our minds. We think that we're doing the right thing, but the reality is it's so easy for us to get right back into the same old thing in the same old life. And we have to engage our brains, right, in the same way that our heart has been engaged. And so this new humanity that we've been given, this new life in Jesus, really, in some sense, mandates and says, guys, you can't live the same way that you used to. I know that it's easy. It's so easy to fall back into that, but that's not what you're made for. That's not what you're designed for. That's not what is a part of this new life. And so I've titled this morning like this gospel shift, right? There's this new disposition that our bodies and our minds need to adjust into that's working in tandem with this heart and what the Spirit wants to do uh, inside of us. So as we join this new humanity, right, there's this gospel shift that needs to happen kind of in my brain and how I process what's going on uh, around me. So, um, and what Paul does, uh, we're uh, going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 uh, to 32. So if you've got a Bible, you can jump, uh, jump over to that. If you don't have one, there's some in the pews, and you can grab, uh, grab one of those as well. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to talk through uh, kind of this old truth, the way that our minds used to be ruled. He's going to give us a new truth, and then he's going to kind of give us this new, this new mindset. This, how does this, this new disposition and get worked out in these practical challenges in, in everyday life. So here's where we start in verse 17. He says, Now this I say, 
and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Right? So what Paul's doing, he's coming out of a he's coming out of the, the first part of chapter four, and in context, what he's done is he's talked about the unity of the body, right? This beautiful, absolutely extravagant portrait of what the church is designed to look like and the way that we're designed to function, and, and the way everybody, when working together with these spiritual gifts, actually builds up the body. It's this incredibly beautiful picture. So as he comes out of that, though, he says, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I, here's what, now, in, in light of this, here's now what I want you to hear. And by the way, I'm testifying in the Lord. It doesn't mean I'm bearing witness. He doesn't need that. Like, he's good on his own. He's saying here, I, I'm speaking on behalf. As someone who is in the Lord right now, I am speaking on behalf. This is what God wants you to hear. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Um, this word walk, is, if you remember, is, is this kind of this Greek parallel or this Greek replacement for a Hebrew word called halak, which means like to walk, which, but it encompasses every aspect, every element of my life, everything from, from sunrise to sundown, how I do go about living, how I walk is ultimately how I live. And so the reality here, what Paul's gonna set up is he's gonna say, the Gentiles, which you formerly were, right, they have this entire manner of life that, that is absorbed, saturated of their own, you know, their own sinfulness from sundown, or some sun up to sundown. And you, as a Christian, now being a part of this new body, right, you have a new lifestyle that's meant to actually be entirely different. Your entire life has the ability to look differently than the way that your old life used to to be. And what Paul's going to do is he's actually going to walk through, he's going to use a lot of different um, words in these first three verses in 17 through 19. And what I think he's trying to do is he's trying to show us something. He wants us to see as readers that there's this downward cause and effect spiral. It's like such and such and such and such and such and such. And he's going to, and he's going to get down to this pinpoint of what's really going on underneath. It's this downward cause and effect spiral. Right? He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Right? They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Right? That's 17 uh, and 18. You look at that in backwards order. Like, if you kind of see, there's this downward spiral. But if you look at that in backwards order, kind of reversing to the top, what you would start with is this hardness of heart. And this is the core problem, right, for any person is that we are unregenerate. We cannot be transformed by our own doing. We need the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to show up and transform us from the inside out, right? So that's where it starts, right? It starts with this hardness of hearts, but then it goes to ignorance that is in them, which alienates them from the life of God, which darkens them in their understanding, which then allows them to walk in the futility of their minds, the futility of their minds. Guys, the idea here is, is the idea of vanity. 
It's vanity. So it doesn't matter like what questions they're asking. It doesn't matter what answers or solutions they have found. Everything that they are pursuing is futile. It's in vanity. It's just not going to work, right? This is the reality. It's, it's a life that is devoid of truth. And it's this bleak, dark picture. And this was something that Paul does over and over and over, right, in, in this book. And so you go, gosh, okay, if this is like everything that they're doing is in vanity, then how does that get lived out in life? Look at this in verse 19. This is how he says this naturally takes its form in its practice. This is what life looks like. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity right? Every kind. The word uh, sensuality that he, we, he says that we've, we've been given up, we've given ourselves up to sensuality. It's a strange, it's a strange word. So it's not a word we probably talk about a lot, even though we're probably somewhat familiar with it. But really what he's talking about here is this, this freedom with no boundaries, in, especially in regards to the senses. So when you think about your five senses, right? So you've got sight and hearing and taste and smell and touch. So when you think about sight, the sense of sight, right? There's freedom. What he's saying is that this is how this gets lived out. I have freedom. If I am a Gentile, if I do not know Jesus, I can look at whatever I want for as long as I want to look at it. Right? Because there's freedom. There's no boundaries in this, right? Uh, when it comes to hearing, I can listen to anything that I want to listen to, right? Whether it's podcasts uh, or music or TV shows, movies, it's um, uh, Twitter, Instagram accounts, right? I can listen to and process whatever I want. Freedom with no boundaries right? Um, taste and smell, right? Like, we can be a glutton for food. Like, I'm a foodie, and that's easy for me to, to indulge in. Like, we can be gluttonous in this. We want to, to, to crave this. We long for good foods, but it but extends into drinks, into wine, and alcohol, and drugs, right? And it keeps going, and keeps going. And these, these senses, freedom with no boundaries, freedom with no boundaries, right? And the last one is touch, right? Which, which uh, probably in its, in its kind of like, you know, most intimate form is the idea of sex, right? This, this whatever wants, freedom with no boundaries. I can sleep with whoever I want to. Um, or maybe it's just inappropriate touching. Or, but maybe it's something totally different. Maybe it's the idea of fighting, punching, and kicking, right? The reality here is, is what, he, what he's talking about is that there's this blatant, these are blatant acts with no consideration for social norms, right? For personal or social norms. We just do whatever we want with this unrestrained desires. We don't care what the world thinks. This is how the Gentiles live. We don't care. There's, there's no boundaries here. This is just the way that we do, do life, right? And he says, he goes on, he says that they're actually greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And what Paul's doing is he's stating there's this very, there's this direction and intention. He's not just talking about bad habits that are being formed here. He's not talking about like chewing your nails or like biting at your cuticle or things like that, right? He's talking about the way that sin is actually becoming an occupation, for the Gentiles, right? It's this unrestrained boundaries that, that works itself out, this occupation that becomes a practice. And this is the entirety of their life. And you go, gosh, are you beginning to sense the futility in this life? Are you beginning to sense it? 
this downward spiral as it continues to go. When he talks about impurity in this verse, he's talking, he's not talking about, I think oftentimes we think, we hear the word impurity, we think of purity, which makes us think of pornography. But here, it's often, this is referred to as pure impurity, but it's moral impurity. It means it's just so much bigger than that, right? It's this general defilement of the entire being, right? It's, it's actually like seeping into my entire life. Every area of my life, of, of my walk as a Gentile is saturated and soaked up with this freedom that I have without boundaries. It's this, this whole body defilement. And you go, gosh, okay, we're, we're beginning to sense and feel the futility in this. It's painful. It's hard, right? And in fact, he says they do it with greediness. Uh, the word greediness um, actually comes from the words um, I have and I want. And so when you put those together, right, it's this is what I have, but guess what? I want more. There's this always, this more. It's like I'm never satiated. I'm never satisfied by the things that I have. It's a life that's lived in opposition to moderation, Right? It's, 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 it's irrespective of our needs. It doesn't matter what I need or what I don't need. It only matters what I want. Futility. Futility, right? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying this is the lifestyle of the Gentiles. And so you're beginning to picture this. I hope that you're beginning to picture this in the text, but I hope that you're beginning to picture this in the world that we live in because this is the futility of, of people and lives apart from Jesus, it's painful, it's hard, right? They're living this life of moral purposelessness. In fact, in Colossians 3, which is, a, which is kind of a counter passage um, or a cross-reference, you can go back and read this and study this on your own. Um, in chapter three of Colossians, he talks about greed, this greediness, this lifestyle. And when he talks about it, he says that greediness is actually a form of idolatry because, here's the deal, when I covet something, when I want something in life, when I'm pursuing it, what I'm doing is I'm making that object the center of my life. And so this is the space and the zone where God is meant to sit as we're created in the image of God. And so what we do is we take that off, we take God off and we supplant them with whatever it is, right? And then, and then Jesus and God, they, they start moving down the podium, right? Right, first place, second place, third place. Maybe they're in a closet, we don't know. Like there's this idolatry that's at work even in the Christian's lives. And what Paul says in this moment is he's writing these people, he guys goes, guys, here's what I want you to know, near, here's, what I, here's what I want you to hear, here's what I, I testify on behalf of the Lord. Think about the gospel. Think about everything we've just talked about. You must no longer walk that way. That's no longer your lifestyle. That's no longer the way that you're supposed to do life. Which, by the way, this is a strange thing because think about this from, a, from this perspective. Um, the people, these, these Ephesians, these Christians in Ephesus were probably, most likely, the first Christians in Ephesus. Who was their example? Paul. Where did he go? He left. Where is he now? In prison. Who's their example? Nobody, right? There's, there's nobody there for them to really follow. Who are they surrounded by? The people that they just were, Gentiles. What are they doing? They're living life however they want to. However they want to, right? They're just walking and doing life, whatever. Do you think that it would be easy for the Ephesians to go, wow, Jesus is so, so good. Thank you, Jesus, for grace, forgiveness, this new identity. I'm going to live just like I always have. 
right? And we look at that, we go, yeah, that's so, it'd be so incredibly easy. And, and we look at this and we, we, have to, we have to think that this is true for us today, right? Because we live in a world and the world is going its direction. And if we are actually honest with ourselves, we would probably have to admit that we are caught up in that world movement more than we want to admit. It's really easy for us to slip in and out of that crowd, even coming to church, Right, we can slip in, like the larger the church, the easier it is to slip in and out of those crowds, right? And we can cover that, right? And what Paul says is like, that's, that's not how we're supposed to live. And so for us, we have to identify and acknowledge that the struggle in the Christian life is actually very real. It's incredibly real for us as Christians, right? Because the battle for anybody, Gentiles, unregenerate or, or made new, right? The, the battle is ingrained into us. This battle is deep. It is painful. It's actually rooted. This sin, this old way of life is rooted into us, right? This is how we do life. It's so easy for us to do that. And Paul says, you can't do that. You must no longer walk that way. This is not the lifestyle for you. And so he switches into this new truth. That's the old truth. But what about this new truth that's in, in contrast with this old truth? Check this out in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not the way that you learned Christ. Okay, I want to come uh, back to the board here uh, for a second. If you've been tracing uh, through this series with us, uh, you might remember that uh, at the center, I believe at the center of this book is this passage, you know, chapter three, uh, verses 14 to 21, which is this being rooted and grounded in what? In love. Like, this is the thing. So he says, like, I want you guys to be rooted, these big, deep, right, long roots that allow you to be grounded so that what he can do is that he can build and produce so much fruit out of you guys in the world that we, that we live in, right? And so this, but if we were to go backwards to the left as we kind of trace the story for a second, this is something I learned this week. I think, I think it's just fascinating. If you go back, what do we learn just in chapter three, just prior to this, we talk, we see Paul talking about the oneness and how there's these two groups of people, the Gentiles and the Jews, who are now being blended together. In fact, this is the mystery of the gospel, right? That he's made one new body, which is the idea of Christians. It's God's chosen people. It's no longer Jews. It's no longer Gentiles, right? So there's this oneness, right? But then if you come back to, to the right, if you come back this direction from chapter 3, what do, we, what do we talk about this last week? We talked about unity, right? And what does he talk about again, right? He says there's one God, one Father, one Spirit, right? And so you begin to see whether this is intentional on Paul's part or not, I don't know, but this is how it's lining up, right? And it's all centered around this. And if you come back even into chapter 2, right, you've got chapter 2 uh, verses like 1 through 3, right, in that spot, um, where uh, you find that Paul is talking about the old you. He says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, right? This is who you were, right? You've no hope without God in the world, right? But then there's this powerful word in verse 4 that says, but, and he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive together with him in Christ, 
right? It's this super, tremendously important passage of scripture and so powerful. But if you come back over here, what do we find in chapter four, verses 17 to 18, or 17 to 19? He's talking about the old you. He says, this is who you were, right? All this old, this is your manner of life. This is the way that you used to walk, all of this stuff. And then he gets to verse 20, and what does he do? He says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. And so what he's doing, I think, is he's, he's connecting the dots all throughout this storyline for us. He's constantly pointing us back to the gospel over and over and over. It's so tremendously important that at the center of this book is the primary theme of love, God's love for us and his love for the world and all that he will go and do to accomplish what he wants to accomplish uh, in the world, right? There's this gospel shift that needs to happen from the old to our new, this new way of life that needs to come out, right? And here's what he says in verse 21. He continues, he says, right, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, right? Assuming that you've actually You've heard this. And so what Paul is doing here is he's actually talking about the basics of the Christian message. He's talking about the basics of the, of the gospel. And he doesn't list them out or he doesn't detail them out, but he's referencing that there is this basic Christian teaching. And Paul says, I'm assuming that you've been told this and that you've learned this. You've been taught these things. And we can reduce that uh, to like the idea that, that God um, sent Jesus, his son, to earth. He lived a perfect life. Uh, he died for our, uh, the forgiveness of our sins, right? And he raised from the dead, and we have eternal life. That could be something as basic and simple as that, but it could be even more, right? We know that the gospel's more. Jesus is the divine, the eternal. The, he's co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, uh, right? And, uh, and he comes to earth. He takes on flesh. He becomes fully God and fully man, right? He lives this perfect life. He, he makes redemption by being the atonement for our sins sins, right? And then he dies on a cross, and then three days later, he's, he's raised from the dead, and, and then he appears to a bunch of people and says, uh, look out, like, victory over death is a real thing, and then he ascends into heaven, right? So there's these, these different lengths as to what the gospel really is, but what Paul is referring to is just the basics. I'm saying, I'm, I'm assuming that you have heard this. Now, here's my question to you this morning, just in the, in the safety of this space. Can, can you share the gospel? Can you take and verbalize the basics of the Christian gospel message and share it with people? And I don't mean it in a way when you use like these Christian terms, right? Because sometimes people are like, hey, tell me about Jesus. You're like, oh man, Jesus is so good. He makes redemption by bringing atonement to our sins. He, there's propitiation, the exhausting of God's wrath. There's, there's justification and sanctification. There's all these terms. And they're like, did you say something about propane? Like, I'm super confused. Like, how does, how does that work? Like, you light propane, like, what, what's going on here, right? And we need to be able to take it and make it simple. And Paul is saying, I'm assuming that you've been taught this. I'm assuming that you understand and know the basics of the Christian message, 
right? And he says, he says that as Jesus is the truth, right? Jesus is the full embodiment of truth. He is the subject, the object, and the environment of everything that we are to teach, right? Content and lifestyle. And so for many of us, like we need to make sure that we're sharing the right content, right? We need to be able to share the gospel with people. But we also know that to, to share Christ is also to, to share a person, which means that it's relational and personal. So what we're sharing is not just content, we're also sharing because this is, this is something that, that you can experience. This is a very personal, real relationship with your creator. And people in the world just don't get that. Why? Because they're living in the futility of their minds, devoid of any of those types of truth, which is why pointing people to Jesus is so important. How many of you guys have heard of the phrase, um, share the gospel um, with your actions and when necessary with your words? You guys ever heard this? Okay, a few of you. Um, I am going, maybe it's just semantics, but for a moment, I'm going to politely disagree with this statement. Uh, and, and here's why, because, because it assumes that by sharing, I can share the gospel with my actions. And I don't know if I know that that's true. I can show the gospel with my actions, but for someone who has never heard the gospel in their entire life, if you show up and you're living Jesus in front of them, they're not gonna be like, hey, cool, cool, oh my gosh, yeah, wait, Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, I know, wait, I'd have never heard of him, but I need to know him, yeah, wait, so he came from, oh, to die for my sins, and right, so I need to trust and faith, but grace, but you know, blah, blah. Right, they can't get that from actions. The gospel is a verbal or written thing that needs to be processed. And it's very important that we understand that, right? And so maybe it's just semantics, but, but the idea is, is I want to make sure that we understand that we don't, just, we don't just try to live out our faith and then never share it with our words because that's our tendency, right? And sometimes our tendency is to just share it with our words and not live it out. And it's a both and. It's a both and thing that we need to know that we're sharing both content and the lifestyle of Jesus, right? That's what so much of what Ephesians is about is this blending of these two realities. God's story, our story, his kingdom, ours, right? Like all these stories coming together, right? But here's the, here's the unique thing about this life is that like, this new life that, that we're called to live out in Jesus isn't something that we just fall into, right? It's not just something that randomly happens in a given day. It's something that, that takes a lot of work really even in our own hearts. And so here's what it says. Check this out in verse 22. Because he's talking about being taught as the truth is in Jesus. He says, here's what you've been taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What he's saying is, guys, he's saying your whole entire way of life before Jesus is built on a lie. And that lie can continue to seep in and you can build your life and you can build and somehow you can end up being secret, like secretistic and you can take your life from your old and mix it with your new and somehow feel like you're, you're mixing these things together and you're getting the best of both worlds. Right? He says that's all built on a lie, and you're called to put it off. But it's not just to put off. He says in verse 24, right? he says you're also called to what? To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true, right? That's contrast to lie, true righteousness and holiness, right? I love, like in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul spells this out very clearly. He says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come, 
right? There's this reality. This is the position that we've been given. It's a brand new thing and it is new. And yet we have this tendency to want to live out of the old. Here's what I think is so fascinating uh, about um, these words, to, to put off and to put on, is actually, I mean, you guys, if you guys know anything about English, you'll know there's the active voice and there's a passive voice, right? Active is when uh, there's, an, there's somebody is doing the action and passive is when I'm receiving the action. Doing, receiving. In Greek, there's the middle voice, which means that I am both doing the action and receiving it for myself. So when you wake up in the morning uh, and you, um, you get out of bed, what do you do? You take off your PJs and you put on your shirt for the day. So it's an action that you're doing, but it's also an action that you are receiving. And so what Paul is saying here is there's something about our lifestyle, our manner, in which we are called as Christians to take off the old and actually we have to put on the new. There's this process that we have to be going through to take off and put on the new. And sometimes I think, here's what we do, is we wake up in the morning and we leave our PJs on and then we put on our shirt. And we live our day like this. Because what happens is, is I get the best of both worlds. I get the best of both worlds. I get all of my old manner of life, which is freedom without restraint. Unrestrained boundaries. I can do whatever I want and I can love it. And yet, I can also have the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus on top of me. It's so good. It's like, the, it's like, it's like eating your cake and, eating it and having it too. It's awesome. This is what we want to do, right? It's so easy. But the reality is that these things don't mix. And what Paul is saying is that's not the way the Christian life is designed. Right? It's not the way it's designed. In fact, in Colossians 3, check this out in Colossians 3, uh, 9 and 10, uh, here's what, uh, this is the parallel passage uh, to this. What he says, what Paul says is, hopefully you guys can find it, it's just a, a slide or two away, there it is. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what is he saying? Is he just saying, don't, don't lie? Like, like that just seems kind of like, like minimal. No, what he's saying is that when you are living life out of your old identity, because you've been given a new identity, but if you are living out of your old identity, what you're doing is that you're presenting yourself, what you're presenting to the world is actually a lie because you're removing the gospel from your story and you're saying, this is not who I am. This is who I am. And Paul says, no, if you have a new identity and you are living in your old, you're actually lying to people because that's not the real you. The real you is a transformed, brand new person. And it's a lie to the world that we love to hold on to Right, and so here's what happens. We come over here, right? And so this is how we're coming out of this unity section. And what Paul says, right, is here's what I want you to do. I want you to take off or put off this old jersey, right? I want you to take that one off, put that one away, right? And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on an entirely new jersey, right? We'll call this one uh, verse, uh, jersey 22, because that was in verse 22. We'll call this one jersey uh, 24, right? Because that's in verse 24. He says, I want you to put on the new but here's what's so important, what we skipped over in verse 23 that falls right between these two verses is verse 23, right here, where he uses the word renew. 
He says at the center of this is that you need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Renewed in the spirit of your minds. What does that mean? Again, it's in the middle voice, but here's what I think. It's you and me constantly, over and over and over, repeated process, coming back to what we know is true and reminding us again and again, what is my new life? What is this new manner in which I am called to live? It's over and over and over, this repeated process, this active participation between me and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like, Seth, I wanna do it amazing work in you, and I'm like, cool, I gotta get on board. I'm gonna keep coming back to it, I'm gonna keep coming back to it, I'm gonna allow you to do this, right? Here's what Paul does, he wraps up and he ends with these just five very simple, practical things, and we won't unpack them, but I just want you to hear them. These are the five things that Paul lists. He says, these are easy challenges for us because the, the natural tendency, there's a, these pitfalls as Christians, these brand new Christians in Ephesus, there's these five areas, easy areas that I don't want you to fall back into. Here's the first one. He says, therefore, having put, a, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speak the truth. Right, don't lie. Right, don't, do, don't, don't pretend to be somebody that you're not. Don't pretend to, to, to live in the old identity when God has given you a new one. Stop lying and speak the truth because we're members of one another, right? And, and like I love it that Chrysostom once said, he said, if the eye sees a serpent, does he lie to the foot? No. Why? Because we're members. We're part of the same body. If I am lying to the body, I'm lying to myself and hurting myself. Speak the truth, right? So important, right? Verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, right? Like, be angry. He doesn't say, like, that's a sin. Be being angry is a part of being human, right? Even God demonstrates anger in Scripture, right? But what he says is you can't allow it to let you lead you into anger. And especially when you go to bed, if you have unresolved issues at night and you haven't made those things good, it's like you're putting your foot in the door so the day ends, right, and you've put an end and you're just allowing Satan this foothold into your life over and over and over. So when you wake up, you're even more angry. Guess what? Tomorrow has enough problems of its own to deal with the additional anger from today. Take care of it today. Easy pitfall, avoid, right? New mindset. Uh, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Easy pitfall, right? Right? No, no, no more stealing, just stop it. No more, no more of that. I no more stealing. Allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in you. Ask him to, hold, to work in you. And instead, fill it with something better. Actually be, be a part of this labor thing so you can actually add to the body and help the body. I love this one, verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who are here. Back in youth ministry, we always had this saying about Ephesians 4, 29. Because teenagers say things. They go, wow, that was not Ephesians 4, 29. And it's this reminder, let nothing corrupt come out of your mouth. Corrupt is the idea of rancid fish, rotten wood, or like withering flowers. It's not just like this one thing. It's one size fits all. Anything that comes out of our mouth that you're like, wow, that just wasn't right. It was not helpful. In fact, we should be talking in such a way that even if I'm in a private conversation and there are people who might happen to hear me, that whenever they hear me talking, they hear that it gives grace. 
It's this gracious disposition always, no matter how many people in whatever setting I'm talking to. It's powerful on this last one. Well, actually, I just want to make sure this is clear. When we, when we um, actually, when we do this corrupting top thing, um, we actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's like the Holy Spirit inside of me is like, wow, Seth, that was, that was painful. That was hurtful. That was hard. Let's not do that again. Verse 31, this is how he ends. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Right? All the shouting, all the anger, whatever it is that you want to say, put that away. And instead, here's what Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. And this is the climax of this whole passage. He says, and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As if you need a better reason than that, you don't. That's the single greatest piece. Forgive each other right? This is, this is where we end. Because we are designed to be this new person and this new self is radically different from our old self. And it takes this engaging of the mind where we have to process and think about this old me versus the new me and I have to constantly go back and I remind myself to take off the old, put on the new. But at the center of that, this process is being renewed by the spirit of my mind, allowing time with the Father, a time with the Spirit where he is the one engaging and changing me from the inside out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we finish up our time uh, this morning, as we finish with a song, and uh, as we turn our, our hearts and minds to worship you, uh, Lord, I pray that this, this would be a, a beautiful opportunity for us to surrender something to you, uh, that we would be um, triggered in, in our hearts and in our minds that there's something that the Holy Spirit would be nudging us inside of us right now that would be tugging and pulling, that would be saying, Seth, here is the area, this is the way in which you are still living in your old life, and when you do that, you're actually presenting this lie to the world. That's not who you are. Who you are is someone who's been transformed and made new in Christ. And so Lord, I pray that we would be a people who take off the old and put on the new, but at the center would be so dependent and so reliant. It's as if we are, again, on our knees, begging to fall deeper and deeper in love with you. God, give us, give us grace. In your name we pray, amen.